Hello and welcome to the Diabetes Dugout with Brighty and Peachy, brought to you by the Diabetes Football Community. This is your regular dose of all things football and diabetes as we bring you the stories of those affected by the condition who have a love of the sport. Everything we share and talk about on this podcast is from personal experience and if you have any concerns about the management of your condition, you should always check in with a healthcare professional. Now, with all that said, let's crack on with the episode. Hello and welcome to episode five of the Diabetes Dugout. Before I introduce my co-host today, really important, we're running our first competition to win our first TDFC prize. So listen out for how you can win your mask later on in the pod. Joining me today, my co-host, the legend that is Chris Bright. Brighty, how are we doing? I'm very well, Mr. Peach. How are you? Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm all the better for um, a certain football game at the weekend that happened. I yeah. haven't actually mentioned it to you, but um, Villa nil, Spurs two. The less said about it, John, the better, mate. Um, we are not the same team without a certain Mr. Jack Grealish, are we? So, um, yeah, I mean, we had a few chances. We we huffed and we puffed, but. You know, we didn't re- ever really look like we were going to trouble Spurs at the weekend. So, fair play to you, mate. Yeah, you won. And uh, with all the money that you spent, yeah, I think it's to be expected. <laughs> it had to be a little. It had to be a little dig in there. I think. I think the most impressive thing was um, what was Jack Grealish wearing? Sat in the stands. Hey, the, I mean, when you're that good, though, John. What you know, you can wear whatever you want. I suppose. Well, does that explain your dress sense? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I could ever live up to that man's standards and ability. Um, my dress sense, I think, John, is uh, fairly solid, but I'm sure that there'll be people listening to this that may comment otherwise. Brilliant. Um, should we get on with the pod? I, I think so, mate. So who, who have we got on the pod on this episode? Uh, today, we are joined by a veteran of two Diuro tournaments, winning coach's player at the last tournament. He was diagnosed at 10 years old and has a great story of ups and downs and how TDFC has helped him understand his diabetes. He's a keen distance runner and even has his own song sung about him at the Die Euros. We've got Burrell, Scotty Burrell. I just don't think you understand. A tall UK man, he's better than Zidane. We've got Scotty Burrell. We've got Burrell. Scotty <laughs> Burrell. I just don't think you understand. At all, UK man. He's better than Zidane. We've got Scotty Burrell. Oh, Today, oh, we are wild. joined by Scotty Burrell. Hi, boys. Thanks for having me on. It's been a while since I've heard that song, Scotty. What is it like hearing that one back? Yeah, um, <laughs> brings back a lot of, me- well, two years of memories, really, because I'm sure I heard it in Slovakia and also in Ukraine. Scott it's, Scott, it's great to have you on. Thank you for um, for joining us. We've um, we've been keen to get you on. You're a bit of a veteran of uh, podcasts. Um, yeah, I've done a, a two, well, a three, so this is my fourth now, yeah, um, I've had the one a few weeks ago on Marathon Talk, which um, 
was a pretty big call up for me to say the least um, but no I enjoy them and it's good to put my story if that's the right word for it across and sort of like you say the ups and downs of having tight one for over 20 years and everything that comes with it brilliant so you we, we mentioned there about you um being diagnosed at, at 10 years old can you talk us through a little bit about your your diagnosis story um how did it happen how you felt yeah did just yeah. talk us through it um, so yeah, it was, I just started secondary school. It was the October half term, which is like the first half term. I know you'll know Peach being a teacher, um, and half, half terms and school holidays and that for me were just a case of going down the local village green and football, 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 um, all the time. And the particular half term, I was, I ended up being laid up on the sofa. I'd progressively got ill over three or four days so it wasn't one of these long i've heard some diagnosis stories where people mention things being quite drawn out losing weight and things i mean i don't have a lot of weight to lose and i never have so i didn't really notice that but i do remember three or four days on the sofa at home and it was as each day went by i was spending more and more time on the sofa the only times i was getting up was to go to the toilet which was every 10 minutes no exaggeration and to get drinks i had been to the supermarket around the corner um, and bought all sorts of drinks and i even remember saying to my mum at one point that um i'd bought it was some tango lemon i believe i'd bought um and i'd told her i was putting it in the freezer to freeze out the acid because i was drinking so much i didn't want to drink acid but this is obviously me as a 10 year old having these strange thoughts but i was drinking gallons of unfortunately not water basically all drinks not water which i know doesn't help i was going to the toilet all the time it got to the wednesday of that week um and mum and dad obviously knew i was really not looking well at all so they actually called a doctor out um and usually you get taken to a doctor or you book a doctor's appointment but this was a case of a doctor being called out immediately to me so i knew that things weren't particularly good then i did a urine test which was obviously very easy to do because i was constantly going to the toilet um and then the doctor had said to mum and dad um, i need to be taken to the hospital like now so um I remember we jumped in the car. I was drinking Lucasade, the uh, full sugar, full fat net version. I said, probably call it now, which is obviously the worst thing to do in those circumstances. But dad just thought I had some sort of bad virus and um, I was just really under the weather, which I was. Um, so it got to the point in the car drinking that way. I was kind of trying to swallow it and my body was just sort of spitting it back out into the bottle. It just didn't want any more sugar. Got taken into the hospital Um I remember them doing a finger prick test, which came back at 33.7, which wow. obviously meant nothing to me back then because I didn't know what they were doing. And then I was strapped up. It was like a scene out of casualty with um, wires and, and stuff coming out of me. And I remember like a, a nurse sort of saying I was had diabetes and then a more like senior nurse had to come in sort of confirm it um, and they'd said that of course it meant nothing to me at the time I was so glad that I'd only just started secondary school um, so I didn't know what it meant um, and I was there for the next five days. What um so so when you were told that that it was diabetes when that was confirmed what what did you know of the condition before you were diagnosed did you know anything what 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 did you then do to or what were your first thoughts? 
no, I knew absolutely nothing at all. I just assumed that I'd maybe, well, I was hoping to be in hospital for as little time as possible. You know, maybe you're ill, you go to a hospital, you get better and you leave, um, which kind of does happen. But of course, with type one or just diabetes, as they seem to call it then, um, you, you do feel better than when you went in, but you've, you've got the condition for the rest of your life. It took me a while to come to terms with that. I remember uh, I was in hospital then for five days. So I went on the Wednesday and I left on the Sunday. I missed a game of football on the Sunday, which really annoyed me at the time. Um, I do remember that. Uh, but I remember the hospital giving mum and dad like some brochures or little leaflets and pamphlets about it. And I remember my dad saying to me, oh, this will change your life. And I said, oh, you, nothing will change my life. Um, uh, as a kind of 10 year old who doesn't really understand life at that point would yeah. think um so yeah I, I didn't think too much about it I didn't know what it was I don't remember the time when they told me that I would be doing injections every day now um it, it doesn't stick in my mind one thing I do remember was going a couple of days once I'd been in and obviously I was feeling a bit better I'd been put on a trip so my levels were more in range i would have assumed i went downstairs into the shop in the hospital and i bought i remember buying a lilt and a like a punnet of grapes and um it was a, like a diet lilt or i think it was diet they'd call it then um and i went back upstairs to the bed and just put them on the, the table next to the bed and started eating the grapes and one of the nurses had come to me so you, you you've got diabetes now you can't eat more than eight of those at once and i was really questioning her on what would happen if i ate nine or ten grapes and you look back now and um it's ridiculous but yeah that's my first big memory that i remember this lilt and grapes incident where i was told like you can't eat more than eight grapes and and, and how did um how did your life sort of change how, how did, did you did you resent having to do the injections? Did you just get on with it? Was there ever any thought of, um, I can't play football, I, I, I can't be as active as I can? Um, no, again, I've heard people say they were told to not do sports, can't play sports. I, I was never given that advice not to. Um, they're certainly told about you need to be more careful and things like that. In terms of doing injections, um, that's something I've always done. I was on um, Humulin M3 back then, which is um, a mixed insulin, which I stayed on for far too long, which I'm sure we'll come on to. So that was just twice a day injections uh, before breakfast and before evening meal. I always did those. Um, uh, to start with, I wasn't always doing them myself. Sometimes mum or dad would do the injection, but I do remember I wasn't allowed to leave hospital until I'd done one myself. So I remember putting one in my right quad. The muscle was all tensed up. It hurt like anything, but it was a case of you do it, you can leave. And that was all I needed to be told. So I, I was in a lot of pain, but I did it. And then I was allowed to go. Um, but no, I, I always did injections uh, twice a day. Um, and initially to start with, I was I was testing um, almost like the honeymoon period, they call it, not so much the um the pancreas, which I know people say after a year or two of being diagnosed, um, that will stop working completely. And um, you will then sort of notice a increased need for more insulin, more of a mental honeymoon for me, I think, where I was doing everything to start with. Um, I, like I said, always did injections, but certainly testing that kind of fell off a cliff and became non-existent for me uh, within a year or two. So Scotty, what was it like then when you, you know, you were diagnosed at 10, 
um, obviously now yeah, you're a little older than 10 years old. So what was the years that followed? You know, give me, you know, those those late teenage years, you know, when we start becoming um, an adult, when things dramatically change lifestyle wise, you know, for many people, we start trying to um, do different things, take on different responsibilities. What was that like living with type 1 diabetes? How How did you tackle that period of your life? Um, with difficulty I mean even growing up throughout like I said a few years after I was diagnosed I, I, I started neglecting the condition because it obviously it was different it was not normal to have type 1 um, and you don't want to be different when you're 13 14 15 16 years old um, so I'd always try and hide it from myself from other people so I would not pay it the respect that you need to give it um, I, I would not tell people I had the condition unless I really needed to um close friends knew um there was never too much spoken about it I think a lot of the time because I was doing injections in sites where the insulin wasn't getting worked I would have been running high uh, for a large portion of the time um and of course when you're high you don't have it's not as dramatic as say for example if you had a bad hypo and collapsed so people would never really know and or need to know because although it's probably bad for my long-term health constantly running with high blood sugars in the immediate time um you know it's you can't see anything wrong as such but in like later teenage years um yeah it's more difficult for sure because i didn't want people to know i didn't want myself to know i thought them i can avoid it i was always doing my injections because it was just before breakfast which was usually always at home and evening meal usually always at home so i would never carry insulin with me um to school college to workplaces um because i was never going to inject there so and most of the time i wasn't testing so i didn't need to carry anything with me that signified i was type one um so i almost tried to forget about it um which isn't good at all so, you know, troubling, it's out, you know, from our perspective, you know, listening in, we know some of your story, um, the pair of us already. Obviously, that's a difficult thing for you to have gone through, to feel in that way. And um, obviously, you know, and I've spoken to you before that I can sort of mirror some of that feeling as well. And um, as I've grown up, you know, feel uh, and resonate very closely to some of the things you've said there but you know now looking at you Scott there's a very different version of, of who you are with your diabetes you know you're now a an advocate you know you're you're out there talking about your condition you're out there almost showing people the way in some of the the things that you're attempting to do you know with your running certainly having been involved with you know the diabetes um, all type 1 diabetes futsal squad for the UK how did that change what what caused that change from you hiding it and um sort of not engaging with your condition if you if we go down that road to to now being what i would call an advocate yeah um good question i think it started when um i was i'd had i was going for the scans for the um like diabetic retinopathy and i'd had a letter that i'd had some minor damage um which I thought was more serious than what it was at the time. And I remember being on Facebook and I'd seen on, it was a Steve Redgrave post, obviously he's a very famous type one. Um, and a lot of people were commenting various things to do with type one on that. I'd seen a message from a girl, I think everyone in here knows, uh, Sarah Crowley or Crowley. Um, 
who was talking about retinopathy as well and i ended up messaging her um about it she's a type one um and i then later saw a post from her a number of weeks or months down the line of a a type all type one football futsal squad team starting up um and obviously being a big football person myself, I'd seen this and thought, oh, this will be interesting. Um, am I good enough? What's it all about? Um, I started messaging the, the TDFC account, which I'm sure was yourself that was replying back to me. Obviously hadn't met you at this point, um, giving me some more information of, of, of what was going on and, and what you planned to do. Um, and then w- went to that, that first session, uh, which was uh, amazing, really. So what were you, you know, you've come across this all type one diabetes futsal team. You've, you know, this is arguably something that you're really interested in, in terms of the sport. What did you then think about, you know, you go into this session, you know, what were your thoughts and feelings beforehand? Because essentially this is you becoming engaged in your condition, maybe for the, really the first time. So to talk with others with your condition and and open yourself up to that what was that like how did you feel um well yeah you're so traveling to the first session um was i think to be honest i was thinking more about the football like i said i'd spoken to you so you'd given me a bit of info i think we'd had the whatsapp group set up then but there was not a great deal of chat in it because it was effectively a whatsapp group full of strangers um and i was driving over from uh, spalding in lincolnshire which is a fair old way um over to worcester one side of the country to the other um and i think i was just thinking about the football am i going to be good enough am i going to be like a duck out of water. Um, what's the ability can be like? I still think the, the type one and the diabetes was kind of a secondary thought when I was going over there because football for me was uh, and diabetes were two completely separate things. Um, I'd never played football with anyone else with type one. It was never something that any manager had really ever spoken to me about. I would always have a Lucas Aid Origin and a Lucas Aid Sport behind the goal when I played and Jelly Babies in the changing room. I would load up on those. I was probably playing a lot of games high. Um, again, I wasn't really testing, so I wouldn't know specifically, but I know that I was taking on some serious numbers of carbs before games and at half time and, and at some points um, during it uh, with, with the drinks behind the goal. So I was thinking all about the football um, and, and what the session was going to be like, what we were going to do, what the ability of of people was going to be like. So yeah, I think my, my thoughts and feelings going over to the first the first meetup um, were on the football rather than the the diabetes still because for me the two were two separate things. Yeah, really interesting because obviously from my perspective as the person that you know put it into place, that was completely intentional. Um, you know, to engage people through the sport first and then, you know, blend in and, and start to bring in conversations about diabetes to sort of engage people with the condition, but use the sport first. So what was it like when, you know, I'd, I'd got you all there, you know, I'd, I'd inspired you all hopefully to, to come to this session. And um, what was it like that first experience when we, you know, obviously we were there for the, the futsal or, you know, the small sided football. And then we started to blend in the diabetes. How how did that, what, what was that experience like? 
Um, it was amazing, really. And I think, yeah, like you say, the first session we went in upstairs at, at the sports centre at Worcester at the uni. Um, and it, initially it was all professional. You had um, a PowerPoint on the go. You know, I could just sense that there was a really professional kind of vibe to it. Going around the table, doing introductions and everyone's talking about who they play for, where do they play, how long have they played for, and then how long they'd, they'd been type one. So straight away, you're almost feeling a connection. Like, well, hold on, I've been playing for years in various leagues and I've got diabetes and all these other guys sat around the table with me have all been playing football for years and they've all got diabetes as well. I was like, well, this 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 really is a first for me. Um, so that that was really interesting. I, I thought that was really good. Um, and then when we so we, we got changed and went out onto the court and, and did a warm up and started doing some uh, sort of basic futsal drills. And I, I remember um, whether it was yourself or one of the coaches we had then sort of stopped the drills and everyone kind of teared check their levels and that was really alien because i've been to hundreds and hundreds of football training sessions for, for over the years for, for various different teams and never once has a, a drill been stopped you have two minutes go and test your sugars get a drink um and you know it that the feeling that was was really strange because now it's it's, it's cared about there's people there i mean 95 percent of the people there were type one themselves but everyone cares about the condition they're given the condition respect and straight away that rubbed off on me because I've never been involved in a football club or a football team where there's stoppages to, to go and check your level so everyone makes sure they're okay yeah so do you feel that that day and that experience of all of a sudden people sharing their condition and sharing your condition with you know with each other do you think that was a bit of a uh, a penny drop moment for you? You know, where all of a sudden maybe something clicked and you went, maybe maybe it isn't all what it was cut out to be, and you know, hiding it isn't the right thing to do. And and what was your kind of thoughts when you went away from that session? Oh, ma- massively! I remember driving back. I actually took a wrong turn in on um, trying to get onto the M six i think it's like eastbound and i ended up going westbound uh, towards wolverhampton because i just couldn't really concentrate on the driving i was um, amazed at what we just sort of experienced i think one from a the professionalism of how the, the actual futsal session was round, the quality of the coaching was all very good but then the, the whole the diabetes aspect where we've just been in a session with I think 20 to 25 of the type ones are all, all playing futsal together, all communicating together. By the end of it, you would not have known that we'd only met each other three or four hours beforehand because we all love football, which we all know brings people together anyway. It's um, that, That's a, a common sort of phrase. It's uh, one game worldwide, whatever. And the fact we were all type one, um, it, it, it was amazing and you, if you're picking up tips finding out what people do what works for others what difficulties have they had what positive experiences have they had what negative negative experiences have they had um yeah it did drive back i was kind of thinking wow well, like i could i don't feel like i need to hide this condition anymore or so it wasn't just flick a switch and everything's fine but there was certainly um I, I was developing signs of actually being more open about this because of the time um, I'd, I'd spent. And this was just in literally three or four hours. It wasn't even a whole day we'd spent together. Just that short period of time, I'd already started changing things. 
Yeah, and I suppose from that then, Scotty, what was the the thing that you really took away that then you maybe from that moment you maybe instilled into your life? What was the kind of um, the the take home message, if you want, from from that first session, and then maybe from future sessions as well? Because obviously you've come back. I mean, you've been an integral part of the whole project since then. So, you know, from from that first moment and then maybe the few sessions after, what's what was the the message that really stuck with you or, or that you picked out on? Um, yeah, well, I couldn't wait for the next session, firstly, which is always a good thing. Um, I think for me, it would have been the start of realizing that you don't need to hide this condition straight away a lot of friends that I've had for years would have said they would have noticed a difference in myself let's call it pre-TDFC years and post-TDFC years in, in how I've managed diabetes and how I'm happy to speak about it and have got more confidence in myself and in it um, and that continued to improve over future sessions um i was gradually making changes with how i dealt with it like i said being more open certainly the the biggest significant change for me would have so i'd got been selected in the squad to go to the first die euro over in uh, bratislava um and then that time we think we were there for eight days in total so spending eight days solid with a group of people who are all type one um that would that was a real big big moment for me and my the rest of my life really scotty you, you are just picking up you you mentioned there about um pre-tdfc um one of the things i know that that we've spoken quite a bit about is is something that affects every single one of us and it can be the most frustrating thing in the world and that's hypos um I, I've seen the difference in you now and, 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 and how you, you prepare for them. Um, do you want to share some of your, I guess, horror stories might be the, the way, that not, not in, a, in a way of glamorising, but I think it's so powerful in showing how far you've come from accepting your, your, your diabetes from, from where you were. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I won't go into too many details of some of them because they're not, like you say, they're not particularly glamorous. They're not proud moments or anything. But unfortunately, there were some which had been so bad for me that um, ambulances were called. Um, and really, that's my own fault, my own mismanagement. But I can remember now three occasions. Uh, one of them was actually um, in Gran Canaria where an ambulance was called. I mean, again, I won't go into these stories too much, but yeah, well, I, the hypo has been so bad. I've passed out. I'm not responsive and um, paramedics have had to save me basically. And that, that's not an exaggeration. Um, unfortunately that happened. Thankfully that has not happened for years now. Um, even they were a few years before TDFC, like there was a gradual change growing up, moving out of the family home, which had, had kind of triggered things as well for me that, I needed to, to take things more seriously. Um, but one sort of stupid, silly slash stupid high post story I, I will mention is I would have been uh, 18 or 19 um, at this age, just at Alton Towers for a, a day out with a very good friend of mine. Um, we were in, I remember we were in the queue for the Oblivion. Um, I'm pretty sure we didn't have like the fast tracks or anything. We wouldn't have had the money to afford that in those days. Um, so we were queuing up for quite a while and I, I was sat on like the railings and he said to me, oh, you need some sugar, don't you? And I'll just dismiss it. No, no. Um, 
and he would go, I know you do, you need some sugar. And I was, I really meant yes, but of course, this was at a time when I was hiding things. I didn't want to know that I needed sugar to keep myself alive effectively when that wasn't normal. Other people didn't need to do that. But anyway, we were quite near the front of the queue. Um, so we got on the ride. Again, I would have been dropping lower and lower sort of glucose-wise at this point, but it's a fairly fast ride. I'm sure you're aware of it. You go down a big drop and it takes you back uh, to the start. So we got off the ride and he's going, come on, I need to get you some sugar. So I can't remember too much after this, but I do remember then we went to like the food court area um, and for some bizarre reason, um, I had this image in my head that the bins, um, like the refuse waste bins, were attacking me. Um, obviously, they don't move. They're not human beings. They're not animals or anything. They're just some bins. So I kept running up to them. And bearing in mind, I'm not a child here. I'm 18 or 19, I believe. Um, I was kicking the bins and they were, they were falling over. And he was trying to sort of restrain me um, and stop me and give me sugar. And I, but I just kept going for all these different bins. It was obviously a lot of them because it was in the food court. Um, and it, just looking back at that now, it was so embarrassing. Like at the time, I didn't really realize what I was doing. I remember sort of coming around afterwards where you ended up having some pizzas there. And I, I'm sure I would have been given some chocolate or something by him whilst this was ongoing. But um yeah it's just that's a, a good example of my behaviors pre-tdfc compared to now when obviously some things like that are a thing of the past and i can confidently say that something like that will not happen again i, I think it's one of the things that stands out there for me is um is that, that the surrounding yourself with with people that know about the condition as well and and the, the fact that y your mate was saying to you, look, you, you need to have some sugar. So he, he obviously recognised the signs um, and, and sort of knew what to do. W were you quite open with your friends uh, about your diabetes? And, and did you ever did you ever have discussions with them as to what to do if they found you d doing things like that? Not really. No. I mean, like I said, they knew that I had diabetes. Um, I would never really mention it too much i would like i said i would never want to talk about it too much um so it would be a case if they knew i had it and they knew that if i was low or they saw signs that i was low because i would never come out and say i was low i didn't carry hypo treatments then because that wasn't a normal thing to do um that they would help out and thankfully um on a few occasions this alton towers uh, story being one of them they did um so no i was not anywhere near as open as I am about it now and sort of a lot of my friends would probably say it could be quite boring at times um me going on about it but no but back then it'd be a case if they knew I had diabetes if they asked questions I'd answer them but I wouldn't be um giving any more information unless it was completely necessary which I deemed it wasn't yeah no and, and, and it's great hearing you say talking about how you're you're much more open and that's something that I can from my own personal experience as well, that the, the, the impact of TDFC has made me far more open and, and far more willing to talk about it. I think that's, 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 that's a key thing. We're just going to take a break from our chat with Scott to launch our first competition. So for a chance to win the brand new state-of-the-art TDFC face masks, you need to listen out for the answer to the following question. What is Scott's record 10K time? For a chance to win, you need to like and share the posts uh, for this pod on social media and uh, DM us your answer by the 5th of April. 
So that question again, what is Scott's record 10K time? Really good to hear all that, Scott. What we're going to do is we're, we're going to have a little break from the serious stuff and we're going to do our 90 seconds uh, questions with you. Oh, so, Bri this is going to be interesting. Brighty, you on the timer? Oh, bear me a second. Let me just dig out the timer. So, Scotty, really simple. One word answers, pretty much. Um, and I'm just going to fire down the questions. Yeah, I'm ready. We'll wait for, we'll wait for the boss to uh, get us going. We've got the phone ready, boys. And I've got one minute 30 ready to go. So, 90 seconds. And are we ready? We're ready. Right. And go. Who was your hero growing up? John Terry. Pineapple on a pizza? No. Messi or Ronaldo? Messi. Haaland or Mbappe? Haaland. iPhone or Android? Android. Red sauce or brown sauce? Brown. Ferguson or Guardiola? Guardiola. Tea or coffee? Tea at a push. Cat or dog? Cat at a push. <laughs> Club or country? <laughs> Just to clarify, Scott is not wanting to push a cat. Uh, Club or country? Country, 100%. Best feeling in football? Uh, scoring a penalty in a cup final. Nice. Favourite food? Rack of ribs. Red wine or white wine? I've not had a drink for over a year, Peach. <laughs> Is that a pass? Yeah. <laughs> Blur or Oasis? Oasis. Good answer. Um, Favourite holiday destination? Shanghai. Xbox or PlayStation? I Xbox. The big one, Rangers or Celtic? Oh, God. Um, let me have a think about <laughs> this. Uh, Rangers. <laughs> summer or winter summer timer and, and oh. we are done we we had to finish on the Villa or Spurs well go on then give him Villa or Spurs Villa or Spurs Scotty Spurs yeah 1-0 oh. 1-0 all. All, Brighty 1-0 Scotty I'm not sure about that that's a um, good answer I, I, I like that one you threw me with some of those. You were, it was football. It was non-football. It was football. It was random stuff. Yeah, that's, that's the idea, Scotty. Getting to know you. Peachy's come up with some absolute worldies there, and there's some. There were some new ones in there as well, weren't there, John? You've snuck oh, a few new ones in. Yeah. Um, I'm going to struggle to do these every week. <laughs> you've been uh, you've been hard at work there, mate. You found a few absolute crackers in there. Um, but. We're going to head back into your experiences, Scotty, and something you've already mentioned. And I know how much of an impact it had on you, but that whole um, selection for the first ever uh, Di Euro team, so the first ever all type one diabetes futsal squad with the UK team. Um, what was that like? So obviously there were some camps that built up to it. We did some extended camps as well beforehand. So full one day um, sessions. 
um, before the tournament. Did you feel ready going to the tournament? Did you know what to expect or, or was um, it just a, you know, complete, <laughs> complete shot to the system? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I knew what to expect because I'd never been in a, a European tournament before, but I was getting to grips with futsal a bit. I think, like you say, we had the sessions and I was always sort of ranking myself against other people. I knew that there was some people at the sessions that I would say I was a bit of a stronger player than and certainly some that I knew were better players than me, but I'd kind of thought I had a, share, a sniff of getting selected and I did, so I was pleased with that. Um, in terms of what to expect, I, I was quite open-minded, like I said, because I'd never been away for eight days effectively on like a, a football futsal European tournament well that's what it is so it's it's amazing really you never never thought um that I would have an opportunity to be involved in a a UK squad um representing so no it was um it was great to be picked it helped me know debt loads which I'm sure we'll come on to in a sec um but no, I, I think I was quite open-minded. I didn't really know what to expect, so I, I didn't kind of have any any views on it. So what was that? And, you know, we've asked a couple of people what it was like, but what was that first moment when you realised you are at this tournament? Where, where did it dawn on you that you were about to represent your country and the condition that you'd spent quite a long time hiding? Uh, yeah, I remember we were all at Luton Airport um, and we were all in the, the track suits. Obviously, there's quite a lot of us with like the backroom staff as well. So that felt really empowering because we were part of something. Um, there would have been probably 16 or 17 of us all, all in the in the UK TTFC track suits. Um, then getting off the plane, being picked up um collecting the the uh, like lanyards for the, the tournament as well as players and you think wow like this, this is really happening now we're all kind of together this is kind of what you think about when you see the world cups and the euros and stuff and what it's like for the players um this was albeit a bit of a, a less glamorous scale but this this was kind of us doing that same thing um so that was amazing. The, the first game, obviously, the, the national anthem, the arms around each other and the crowd. Um, yeah, it was phenomenal, really. And what was it like when you got onto the court for the first time? How did that feel? Really focused. I think I mean, I've played, I've never played in front of huge crowds before, but I've played in games with crowds of a couple of hundred, that kind of stuff. Um and yeah, it just adds something. You you kind of trying to block it out and focus on on your job and doing the best you can to help the team. Um, you don't think about the diabetes really at all whilst you're on the pitch um, or the court. It's all, all that focus. So yeah, I think it was quite surreal and and very focused would be the, the two sort of key words I, I would take from that. And what was, you know, you mentioned, you know, you have an opportunity to switch off from the diabetes whilst you're playing. But what was it like with your management at the time? What what sort of things were you putting in place? Because obviously that tournament requires quite a lot from you. You know, you play, I think it was three games in three days to begin with. And then there was another two or three towards the back end of the week as well. So what, what were you, how were you managing your condition at the time? Um, probably not as well as I am now because I was still on the, the mixed insulin, the Humulin M3 that I was um, prescribed when I was diagnosed in 99 I was still using that in 2018 um, I'd been told many a time by 
doctors and and uh, diabetic specialist nurses, the DSNs, that are like times have changed, things have modernised. I should change, but I was quite a stubborn character. It meant less injections because obviously with the basal bolus regime you inject whenever you eat i was injecting twice a day but i'd gone over there and i was the odd one out um everyone else in our squad and presumably everybody else in the at the tournament was was using different insulins to me which allowed for better control um and it was only then spending the time with our squad that made me realize that i need to change i remember some of the the older lads in the squad um were sort of telling me just I think one of them said, get off this rubbish, uh, which was very apt, really, because for me, it was one thing being told to do that by doctors and and DSNs that you don't really know. But I'd become close with everyone in the squad. We were a group of friends. I've heard the band of brothers um, phrase been mentioned before. And that's what it was like. And when you've got everyone else there doing something differently to you and you can see how well they're managing it, how easier it's making their life um i'm thinking hold on i've been told to do this for a number of years prior to this i wish i had and now i've got evidence that it really works because i'm with 10 11 other guys that i get on with really well that are all doing it and that was a massive change for me because after the tournament i did change um my whole regime yeah so did it did it kind of shock you scotty you know seeing you know you went into that tournament you you've been managing your condition in a certain way for for a certain amount of time and then you spend all of this you know intense amount of time with like you said for the first time so many people with the same condition as you was it a bit of a shock when you saw that the drastic difference in the managing in the management of what essentially is the same condition Massively, yeah, because um, I felt almost bad that I, for example, lunch times, so I wouldn't, you wouldn't inject on the Humulin M3 regime because it's just breakfast and evening meal. So I, I was sat there eating lunch, um, kind of different. And again, it's, I know I mentioned this before. You don't want to be different to people. I didn't want to be different here, but I was seeing actually that in this case, being different was really bad, and this was no good for me. Um, and I had to change. And like you say, that condensed time that we were together for 24 seven for eight days, um, it, it really made me realize. And one of the main reasons why I hadn't changed before was because it meant injecting more. And if you're trying to hide something from yourself and other people, the last thing you want to do is do it more. Um, but yeah, the, the, I mean, the best, the best phrase for me for, the whole week we had in Bratislava um, and this is absolutely nothing against the football or the futsal because it was amazing I was a bit of a bit part player I made a few sub appearances a, a few unused times on the bench which I had no problem with because there's some good players in the squad I would actually say for me the futsal was the worst part of the week and this sounds ridiculous and the futsal itself was amazing but the the difference it had made i changed but seeing the way i can change my insulin and my lifestyle that was massive for me and like i said albeit the futsal was incredible and all of that associated but it was more for me that it, it gave me a whole new lease of life effectively by seeing everyone else yourself all, all the others in the squad are on this insulin regime and, and how well they were managing things i had to change too and that was a big takeaway for me that that effectively changed the rest of my life if i wasn't selected in that squad if i would, wasn't selected if i'd never found out about tdfc who knows 
what I'd be doing now. There's probably half a chance I'd be six feet under now. Wow. Um, yeah, big, big uh, statement, Scott, obviously, to say that. And, um, you know, I always remember, and we'll talk a little bit about Kiev in a minute with Peachy, but um, I always remember the the conversation that you had with me. I say conversation, the, the little speech you did um, in Kiev, you know, when we were towards the end of that tournament and it really hit home for me, uh, the impact that it had, that this community has on people. And uh, the lives that it's, I suppose it's left an imprint on on many lives and how it's um, supported you and many others in in hopefully, you know, making really positive steps. So um, in your management and beyond just the management of the condition, but in your life as well. So what would be the kind of the key thing that you took from Bratislava, from that tournament, from that week away? What's been the maybe the biggest change that you took immediately away from that week or, you know, what are the changes that you took away from that week? Um, there were so many. I mean, like I said, firstly, I changed. So I went, I'd had appointments not long after we came back and I'm now on um, the Tejo, uh Basil and Nova Rapid uh, Bolus um, insulins. So that's obviously a huge change, completely changing my insulin regime. But also mentally, um, I, I was no longer scared of injecting in public. I've injected um, in front of loads of people. I remember an England game uh, a couple of years ago now um, in doing an injection just in my seat at Wembley at half time and I was with a, a work colleague at the time and he'd said well I remember you saying like you would always try and hide it and now you're injecting in front of 90,000 people um, which is not yes. a complete lie really um, so I was a lot more open I was talking about things um, I was much happier I was in better health for sure because I wasn't having extreme hypos and all of that came about spending the, the week in Bratislava with the squad and, and seeing how everyone else coped I mean I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say um, how powerful TDFC has been not just for myself but certainly myself for everyone involved because I've heard stories how almost everyone has an improved HbA1c now they're feeling better they're happier um, and if you if you think the health services around the world spend millions of pounds pharmaceutical companies of trying to help people with these conditions extend their lives it's I don't see it as that much of an exaggeration say that TDFC is potentially given people a number of years on their lives that they perhaps wouldn't have had because they're now in better health they're controlling their type one better and we all know that the better control you have the less likely you are to suffer complications and therefore you're going to live longer um the 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 power of people really is quite incredible and if this has been done on a real low budget compared to if it was in the healthcare world where they're trying to make technologies and medicines to improve things but this has all been done through the power of people scott it's great to hear how um bratislava made a a massive difference to you and obviously that was the first die euros um you were then selected for the the second one in Kiev. Um, how did that How did that help you? Were there any differences? Did it help with your um, your diabetes control? Was there any anything that, that added to it? Um, 
it certainly had less of an impact than Bratislava because I'd made those massive changes before. So like I said, the, the change of insulin regime. Um, but I would say as a squad, we were a stronger squad because we'd known each other for longer. We'd played together more. Um, we'd helped each other out with day-to-day life things. I know there's people in the squad that have organised job interviews and CV sorting for people. And this has all come through the, the, the TDFC connection. Um, so I guess Kiev for me was just picking up those little snippets from people. What are they doing? Can I do this? Um, which is going to help me with, give me a little bit better control. But my regime didn't really change from, Bratislava to Kiev from than what I've already said. It was more about Kiev just fine-tuning things, picking up information from others, um, trial and error, like a lot of type one is to see what works for, for you and um, bringing those, those things in, into your life. And, and did you, whereas with Bratislava, you might have seen yourself as, as someone that was there picking up the, the, the tips from others, um, in Kiev, did, did you sort of feel as as though you could be someone who was um, willing to share your, your experiences and, and, and your um, experiences with different types of insulin and, and give out advice more readily? Oh, massively, yeah, because my, my overall knowledge of type 1 is much more now um, in terms of technologies, the whole CGMs, the Dexcoms and Libras, or all, all that kind of stuff. I feel like I'm quite knowledgeable with all that. Um, I've, I've really become more engaged um, with, with the condition, so I, I know a lot about it. Um, there was obviously some guys in the squad that weren't in the, the first squad, so giving out advice and tips. And I think from a futsal side, it was a lot better tournament for me. I played a lot more. Like you said, I, I picked up an award, um, and I was a much more integral part of the squad. So, um, yeah, all, all round, it, it, it was really, really positive. Uh, I think I'd, I'd speak on behalf of every single person that, that, that has been um, to a diura with you. One of the biggest things you bring is is just the, the, the comedy and, and bringing people together. And, and for those that don't know, Scott does some unbelievably brilliant videos um, of uh, places where he goes, um, hotel rooms, restaurants, and it just... I don't think you necessarily realise, Scott, how how much of a positive impact that has on on so many other people in that group, and and just the the way it brought us together. Um, it, it was something we could just. It was it was just we were all able to laugh at it and 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 have a good time with it. Um, and and I just think that was you, you were so good at doing that, whether you were doing it deliberately or whether that's just part of you. But I, I just think that was that was one of the real strengths that you, you brought to that, that that group of blokes. So thank you for doing that. And plenty more videos to come, I hope. Oh, no, absolutely. Well, it's a pleasure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just me. I'll, I'll say things as I see them. And if it helped people and brought them together, then no, that's really good to hear. Yeah, I always remember the, uh, <laughs> as we were talking before we came on to record, Scotty, about that first one that you did when you did your room review room review of Bratislava and um, I think I can speak on behalf of everybody that went to that tournament we were all in hysterics when we saw that and um, yeah it it gives us all something to you know because sometimes it's not always easy being 
away and um, for a week as well. You know, somebody like Peachy and Tim that have been involved in the squads where, you know, they've got, they're leaving family behind for a week and, um, you know, and some people it's, you know, it's a challenge and it's, it feels different. You're surrounded by people that are different. So um, I think, yeah, it brought, it brought something else and it brought a, a level of real humour and um, I think we all we all loved it, and we all enjoy it. And you've now become a bit of a, a cult a cult hero around it as well, Scotty. No, that's that's good to hear. Well, I'm I'm pleased people enjoyed it, and hopefully there'll be more of it in the future. Yeah, well, let's hope so, mate. And then just wanted to move on the conversation now because obviously um, you've also got quite a big interest in running, and you've become probably in the last year or so, maybe a bit longer, you might correct me, but you've certainly become a very, very strong runner in terms of what you're able to do and um, putting in some incredible times and you've got some, you know, some big goals as well for running. So where did that come from, Scott? Where, what drew you into that? Um, yeah, well, this really came from an, another TDFC connection. So people might be familiar with uh, One Bloody Drop, which is a, a website run by a, a guy called Paul Coker, of, who's had type one for a massive number of years, all about um, exercising with type one, all different sports. And he was this. So this was in uh, early 2019. He was recruiting to try and break a world record at the Swansea Half Marathon of having the most type one diabetics running a half the same half marathon. Um, and I'd only ever been to Wales once before, and that was to Cardiff on a stag do many years ago. And I'd never been to Swansea. So I thought, mm. well, I'll, I'll sign up for this. What a um, place, Scotty. Let me just interject. What a place Wales is. I just had to, just had to uh, drop that one in there. But I yeah. Like them in there. <laughs> um, but no, yes, yeah, so I went. I signed up for that, went over there, really good weekend. There was a, a meal on Saturday night of all the type ones. And then Sunday morning, we obviously went and did the half marathon. I uh, had very minimal running experience at this point. I thought I was in okay shape because I cycled a lot. I was obviously playing football, futsal a lot. Um, we had the, the TDFC London team running at this point. So I was in, I felt I was in good shape. Um, I ended up for, completing the half marathon finishing in first place out of the type ones and then I, they say i got the running bug um and after that i then started entering races all over europe um and yeah it kind of snowballed from there so i ended up doing a lot more running um i've run with other type ones and um yeah really sort of in the last well since september last year is when i've started on a proper coaching scheme with a coach and have really noticed an improvement since then. And um, even most of 2020, I was running uh, quite regularly. So yeah, that, that all started from trying to help Paul and one bloody drop where I know a big TDFC friends with the, the sport T one day conference uh, that we all do. Um, so that kind of snowballed from there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Paul and One Bloody Drop is a big friend of the diabetes football community and, yeah, happy to always uh, be involved in, in work with themselves. And, yeah, they obviously did that, an amazing project around getting those type one runners to Swansea to try and break that world record. Um, let every, let's let let everybody know then, Scott, how quick your times are. So what are you running 5K in? What's your PB? And then what's your 10K PB as well? 
Well, I will give myself a little disclaimer before this, because we've obviously had months of lockdown and no races. A lot of these times, in my opinion, um, are massively there for the taking. And I think hopefully if races start up again or in a couple of weeks time, all being well, um, some of these times will become quicker than what they are now. But if I, my fastest 5K is 16 minutes, 35 seconds, um, which I think is my best kind of time comparatively. And I'm better over shorter distances my best 10k time um at the moment this one i will 100 percent take off some time next month if i can get in a 10k race it's 37 31 um and then a half marathon um 120 56 and i ran that one just as a time trial last sunday on a really windy day so again i think i can get some off that as well but no they're my i've never done a marathon yet i'm going to run london marathon um in october again all being well hopefully it goes ahead um but no they're they're my best uh, times my pbs at the moment very very quick scott uh put my times to shame mate but obviously we have we have different goals for, for different areas of our lives and what we want to achieve. So that leads me on to the question is, what do you want to go and do and achieve in your running then whilst you've got your type 1 diabetes that's coming along for the ride? Well, yeah, I mean, that obviously makes things a bit more challenging because nutrition is important for any runner. But when you've got your glucose level on your watch as well and it can be high or low, um, obviously that just adds a, a bit of a span as the works at times. But um it creates a bit of a challenge which we like um but what i'm going to try and have a go at um is running the fastest um marathon time for a, a british person with um diabetes ever um which obviously sounds like quite a big ask and it will be a big ask because it's a solid time for someone without type one or any form of diabetes um uh, but i'm heading in the right direction um obviously we've got a good few months before london comes around so um i'll see what shape i'm in come october and uh, hopefully give it a good go perfect so um yeah just also then thinking and looking towards what you've um your the work that you've been putting back into now being an advocate and thinking around um your there's been a, a few moments that I can remember in terms of your impact that you're now having, remembering um, from what you're doing as, a, as an advocate, as a, somebody now talking about the condition. Do you remember that occasion that I'm thinking of where you went to meet somebody with uh, a, a young person with type 1 diabetes and explain a little bit about that? Yeah, so this was um, another big friend of TDF. So you've got... Uh, Jenny Carr and her son Oliver, um, who is well, probably 12 or 13 years old now, but when I visited, I think he would have been 11. Um, he's a type one that had suffered with some bullying at school and things that a lot of us have been through growing up um, with type one. And he's a massive, loves his football, cricket, just a, a young kid that loves sports. Um, and they're actually quite local to me. So they're over in Boston, um, in Lincolnshire, which is not too far at all from where I'm from. So I was invited over there to meet him. Um, that was really inspiring for me. Um, I felt like I really gave some good knowledge because 
he was someone that well, his, his mother, um, Jenny, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but she always liked him to, whenever he was partaking in sports, to have like an armband on with his phone in. So his CGM uh, would continue to work. I gave them a little tip about you can keep it on the sidelines and just Bluetooth off and on again, and then it will come, it will find the um, your glucose reading straight away rather than having to wait the 15 minutes. And, and that seemed to make him really happy because he didn't have to play football and cricket and stuff with his phone attached to his arm. Um, he loved that. And that was just a great experience for me passing on knowledge and that I'd learned some of it pre TDFC, but most of it following the TDFC years, I remember signing uh, my shirt from uh, both tournaments actually, I think, um, and giving it to him. So that was a really nice touch. Um, but no, that that was really good. Like a young kid who's gone through a lot of what I've experienced and I'm sure what a lot of the guys and anyone listening really who's got a connection to type one um, has experienced. And yeah, just to try and help them with their life. And I think I did that. I think from sort of the, the feedback that, that me and Brighty get, you, you may not feel like it, but you, you are seen as a role model for these young children and as someone who they can look up to and, and they can sort of be in touch with it, it, you, you're not um not yet anyway not some sort of famous celebrity um who who, who is that, that they can just sort of idolize but never actually speak to but to, to have someone who who these youngsters can see can still run can still play football can, can still be active can still lead a a normal life I, I think is is so important for them and I know having spoken to you that you were absolutely buzzing when when you went and did that visit um, and and actually it I, I think it as, as well as meaning a lot to Ollie I think it I think it meant a lot to you as well oh absolutely yeah because I think if if I'd had something like that when I was uh, 11 12 years old um it would have been incredibly helpful. And yeah, if there's any anyone, any youngsters or anyone of any age really that is looking for advice, tips, help, then um, I'm certainly happy to give it because I know how beneficial it would have been for me if I'd spoken to someone in my so-called darker days with type one where I was hiding it from everyone, including myself. And and if people do want to to get in touch with you at all, what what are your what are your social media um accounts? Oh You're God! So there's, many, yeah. There's loads. Um, so probably Twitter will be my main one, which is uh, I'm sure you'll put them them all in the notes. Um, which is just uh, Scott Bufc. That's my team, Boston United. Um, so quite a simple one. Um, and yeah, all, all the others uh, I'm sure you can put in the notes. Yeah, we. Well, I say we. Brighty's going to do it. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I can dig them all out. There's that many of them. Oh, there's not as many as what you've got, Brighty. <laughs> uh, I've only used two, Scott. I think you've got at least six. Brighty only needs to use two when he's got his three million followers. <laughs> outrageous claims, outrageous claims. <laughs> anyway, Peachy, isn't it time now to get on to the three questions to finish off? It is indeed. So, Scotty, really simple. You give me a number between one and 22. I ask you a question. Yeah, I've heard it on the previous pods. I've been looking forward to it. There's a few questions I'm hoping I don't get. Um, we'll start <laughs> with a number that I've always tended to pick. A lot of people say it's unlucky for them, but we'll go with 13. 13. 
Um, if you could see one band or artist perform live, who would it be? Um, good question. I mean, I'm into my dance music, as some people may know. But I have been fortunate to see some of the big artists. So I'd probably say someone like the Chemical Brothers. Good choice. Good choice. You ever seen them? No. Never? No, they'd be, ah, I like that there. That's good. Next one. 19. 19. Favourite television show? Oh, uh, um, I'll probably give you two. As a, a sitcom, I love that Modern Family that was on Sky One a few years ago. And as a, an all-round show that I always tend to watch, have I got news for you? Oh, classic. Classic. And, yes. I, I convinced myself it's also educational. Well, yes. Go on then. Final one, Scott. A shirt number I'd usually wear, 11 aside. Let's go number five. Number five. Um, oh, good one. Who is the most famous person in your phone? <laughs> Quality. Go what on. a um, line that is. Uh, I'm trying to think now. Oh, sorry, um, apart from Brighty, obviously. Oh, come on. You're having a right go at me <laughs> on this pod. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think. So this is someone a con like I've got their number saved in my phone. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I'm from. I mean, this is a completely. Uh, I can't think <laughs> anywhere else. I'm going to go for a guy called Dave Ball. Is someone who I used to play Sunday League football with. He was a good friend of mine for a few years, not seen him so much recently. But the reason I say that is because he owned a massive uh, plant nursery, which he ended up selling for an absolute huge, uh, no, eight-figure number. I'm not going to give the amounts or anything. Um, And he's obviously living a very good life now uh, because of that. Um, So, yeah, there's probably very few people listening to this that will know him apart from people that I know that listen to it. But, yeah, you've kind of stumped me with that question. But I'll go for David Ball, the ex-owner of Bridge Farm Nurseries. So so you sold it for eight figures. Are you still in touch with him? Just wondering about future sponsorship, Scotty. That's Um, that's all I'm thinking. He did I had I went to the Nations League finals, which was what three, two or three years ago now, which was in Lisbon. I went with him there. We had a f- good few days together, and he was saying then he'd definitely do some. But I've I've not spoken to him for a long time since. I know I know that he's living in the Algarve now. He's he's left Britain after that sale and got himself a nice place over there. Um, but I've not spoken to him for a little while now. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, Scott, it, it's been absolutely brilliant chatting with you, and, and I think, like, like we said with a few others, we could we could go on chatting for absolutely hours. The the stories you've got, the experiences you've got, the the impact that that TDFC has has had on you, as I think it's just it's absolutely incredible. And, and thank you for for giving up your time to to, to share that share your story. No, absolute pleasure. Really, really enjoyed it, Peach. Yeah. Um... Just from me as well, Scotty, a huge amount of appreciation for you being as open and as honest as you are now um, about your story, being so willing to share it and obviously being so, um, in, uh, being as it is so powerful and obviously an incredible advocation of the work that we do for, you know, type 1 diabetes and, the di- and through the diabetes football community. So a massive thank you from from me for all that you do to talk about our condition and talk about our project. And um yeah, for anybody listening that's enjoyed the podcast, please give it a like and uh, a share and a follow. 
And until the next episode, thank you. And we'll see you on the next one. Well, that's it for this episode. And we just want to say a huge thank you to everyone who has tuned in. And don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. And whilst you're there, if you could rate and review us, that will help us and the show to reach more people. Whilst if you'd like to get in contact with us about any ideas or thoughts for the show, send us an email about the Diabetes Dugout to the Diabetes Football Community at gmail.com or head to the website www.thediabetesfootballcommunity.com for more information about our project. Thanks for joining us and tune in next time for more stories, inspiration and information about diabetes in football.